We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike for uh, one more before we take a little break for the All-Star break. And we're going to reflect on this crazy whirlwind of a season, guys. Uh, There's so many places we can go with this, but I'd like to start at the beginning. This offseason, Laker fans were riding high. It was coming off of an unexpected Western Conference Finals appearance. And then an offseason where they acquired some talent, right? Torian Prince at $4.5 million, get some guys on vet mins that have some talent, Gabe Vincent with the MLE. But the crown jewel is that, hey, we have the same team or at least the core of the same guys for the first time from one season to the next in in a few years. And guys that we're excited about, excited to build with. And so emotions were very much riding high. And Lakers are 500 for the better part of 50 games. And we've tried to tell the story of that on a day-by-day basis. But going back to the beginning, Mike, to this offseason, kind of knowing what you know now, how do you think of that period of time going into this season? The, the, the like what I struggle with with where the Lakers are at right now is that it's a it's been a excellent stretch in February to get to 30 and 26, like four games over um, 500. But looking at the standings all year long, you know, I kind of feel like they should should be um, up in that next tier, uh, you know, with right where Phoenix and New Orleans and Dallas are um, in, in Sacramento. So it, it's a difference of three, four, five games, but that's that's significant kind of going into the second part of the season. And so that's that's like the one part, like had the Lakers just done what would have made the most sense and played bigger um, and, you know, started really early or started Vanderbilt, then I think that you know they would be in a, a better spot now. But the good news is that they've gotten there and they're, at least mostly healthy um, in kind of the key spots with the exceptions, of course, of Vanderbilt and Vincent um, once they get their, once they get Christie and Reddish back um, coming out of the all-star break. So like w- the reflecting upon the first half and, or the first two thirds really um, of where they're at to me is just, there was, there was stuff left on the table um, that could have helped things earlier, but they, they got there eventually and at least put themselves in position um, to make a run, even if it's going to be a little bit more challenging than it would have been. Yeah, it's hard not to reflect and see a little bit of like, oh, man, they could have been in a better position than where they are now. 
I'm super encouraged with the strides they've made offensively. This stretch has also seen like a slight uptick defensively in the last like five to 10 games from where they were just like at the beginning of the year. And so like I have a piece coming out at Silver Screen and Roll where I look at like five different things like um it's like a yes and no article right where it's like things that have been positives and things that have not been as positive and in the not as positive area i talk about the team's downturn defensively but in that highlight like we may be starting to see a shift back to the team that they can be i'm encouraged by where the team is at now their offense has been great like the rhythm and flow that that they're in the vibes feel strong So there's a lot of positives to build on. I'll be interested to see what things look like when everyone does get healthy and there are more options within the rotation and more of those options are smaller players or wing size players. But there's a lot to be encouraged about both collectively as a team and some of the individual performances. Like we talked in yesterday's pod about Rui, but like Jackson Hayes has been playing a lot better. And there's just a lot to sort of build on. Of late, I felt like as good about the team as I felt all season. And that includes the stretch where they won the in-season tournament. So I'm just super encouraged about where they are. Um, But that encouragement does come with that counterbalance of like, oh man, like could they have had three or four more wins or five more wins if they had decided to make these shifts earlier in the season? Yeah, there's. I share that bittersweet type of feeling, but I also have kind of a sense of optimism that does come from the how we got here. That I think that the first part of the season, these first 50 games, which I think is too long of a window to do this, by the way, but this is what happened in in my view, is for as much as we talked about continuity and the guys that were coming back, it was a lot of figuring out the guys who were new. There's a lot of playing time, a lot of starts for Torian Prince and Cam Reddish. It is a switch from four out to five out offense. And that's one of the big things for me where the knowing what I know now now type of thing, there's always going to be a certain degree of growing pains where players have to learn a different type of system when you change a system. This is true in any sport where if you change your alignment, if you change your offense, if you change your method of attack, there's going to be a certain amount of like, okay, the players have to actually do it to figure it out. And so as we lamented a lot earlier in the season, how are you going to do that if you never practice? In a way, the games become that sort of practice and and the results of which I agree. If it, this, this is something, another element where if we just stay with doing what we were doing on offense, are the earlier returns better? Probably. But there's no way that we're at this point offensively if we stayed doing what we were doing. And, and the growth offensively, Mike, uh, like we talk a lot about the personnel, but just the stuff that we're running that like ball screens with weak side actions, it is, I'm so excited about it. And I do think that there was a certain degree of you have to go through it in order, in order to get through this point. So I look back a little more favorably on that early, those early growing pains as just kind of a thing you got to fight through. I want to, I want to, unwind this a little bit more before making a separate point pete and and so i'm going to kind of kick this back to you but by going through that are you saying that it would have been they wouldn't have been able to do that had they not you know like started prince and you know played reddish more and essentially in in favor or against 
or play them more as opposed to Hachimura, you know, or putting Austin in a spot that he was in last year. And even like Vanderbilt, once he got healthy, like, do you think that was necessary to go through it personnel wise or just what they were running? No, it's no, like that's a separate, that's a mistake. I think that was a mistake all along. Right. But whether if it was with Rui starting or Vando starting, who wasn't healthy to begin the year. Right. But whomever it was, there was going to be a certain amount of like, oh, Austin made this turnover because he's not used to this scenario off of a ball screen or this exact spacing where now he's thrown freaking whipping left-handed passes behind his head to guys in the corner. You know what I mean? There's just a certain level of knowledge that you got to go through the reps in order to get there. Would it have been better earlier on with the bigger personnel? I very much think so, but that is to me is a separate issue than the, you just got to go through it, D. Yeah, I would add a part of where I thought the coaches aired a little bit too much was that they got off of those groups a little bit too early. They put Austin on the bench and then they put D'Lo on the bench when those guys were struggling with what they were supposed to be doing offensively. And they went to those other Mm -hmm. players defensively. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of why this period of growth This is why it took so long. It's because they did sort of like mess around with the lineups a little bit too much rather than letting these groups go through their growing pains and also not playing some of these bigger groups earlier that probably could have like allowed them to win some games on the margins at least, but just by being bigger and potentially better on the glass without having to deal with some of the struggles of being smaller. Well, I think about since we're doing kind of a reflection pod and I think about the preseason pods that we did where we were thinking among the top line items that is good for this team is the continuity from the postseason run. And then not only do the, does the lineup switch a little bit in part again because of Vanderbilt's injury in the first preseason game, um, but then the switch to five out. So there's two things that uh, that exactly. take away from that original continuity that we thought was going to be this big advantage. And the Lakers are going to, the first game of the year, they're basically running the same stuff and doing the same things they were doing in the playoff run. Well, that didn't happen. Um, And not only did that happen, but when you're the Lakers and you start a little bit more slowly, then the pressure increases and and it, it just becomes this whole thing that goes against what we thought was going to be there. So, now, however they got there, and, and I think we, we've pointed out, again, that maybe it took a little bit too long to get there, but the offense having come around to this degree, I can totally get behind what you're saying, Pete, is that being the source of the big-time optimism. And you know, one representative of this, at least, uh, I've, I've been tracking kind of, or we all have been, the plus-minus stuff, and Austin was just way, way below water. For him, and because he's always been a plus-minus guy, um, even his rookie year when he didn't really know what he was doing um, yet in terms of where he was fitting, he's he's coming in, he's taking a couple charges. That you know he's just doing stuff uh, that is helping the team, and, and it's reflected in his net rating. And Austin now in these last fifteen games is plus seventy-five, and I'm talking he was like minus one fifty or oh, something yeah. in the first couple months, and that that is not all. Part of that is because of the lineup switch, um, for sure, and getting away from the groups that included Torian Prince next to him and D'Lo and just made the team too small. Um, That's part of it, but he also has just made significant gains in figuring out what to do within this offense and when. Um, And even if he's not taking as many charges as he was last year, I think that maybe that starts coming around ahead of the playoffs a little bit more. But that's just one example of a total sea change in what one individual player is doing, and it kind of reflects what the team is doing as well. With respect to Austin, I remember hearing a a story that he had told about how in the locker room after a game in either his rookie year or his second year, 
he was talking about he had a really good plus minus. He mentioned that in passing. And LeBron retorted at that like, that's actually not a stat for you with the implication, at least this is what I took from that. Maybe I, I read it wrong, was that you're actually a guy and like plus minus guy, plus minus is a stat for role players. Whereas if you're one of the guys that are responsible for running a unit, it's just a it's a different thing. Now that said, I would argue that a big part of why Austin's plus minus was bad to start the season was that he was running units poorly. So he was asked to do a big, bigger job. He got promoted, right? To, yeah, he wasn't well, just he the, and he didn't necessarily want to run units by the way, in that sense, that's not his, but yes, he got put in those positions um, <laughs> where that was what he was tasked with. Hey, it's all part of it. Right. But this is also part of the argument for growing pains that I've, that I'm making is that, would Austin be throwing these freaking passes he's throwing right now had he not thrown all the turnovers that he threw earlier in the year? Probably not. There are a lot of things in life where you got to mess up. You got to make mistakes. You got to keep your head up. Got to keep fighting through it. Find the solution. Figure out the angle, the window you got to get through to, to be successful. And D, that's something that I've I've very much seen in Austin this year. I've seen that in Delo as well. So let's take a break here. Keep the conversation going. So one of my goals right now is to eat better, but in the thick of the NBA season, that can be hard to do. So I recently joined Factor, and Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service to help me do that. They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track for your healthy lifestyle. Choose from 35-plus weekly, flavor-packed, fresh and never-frozen meals that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, all delivered right to your door and ready to eat in two minutes. And you can enjoy the extra convenience at any time of day with an assortment of 55-plus add-ons to suit various preferences and tastes. Head to Factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 and use code LakerFilm50, all one word, to get 50% off. That's code LakerFilm50 at Factormeals.com slash LakerFilm50 to get 50% off. Yeah, I think the individual growth of Austin and in, and in his own way, the individual growth of D'Lo has been super important to the rounding out of the team. They're the ones, I feel like, who have taken the biggest step forward within their mm -hmm. individual roles and what their asks are and have figured things out within the idea of what they're supposed to be for this team, within the flow of how the team wants to play. And with that, the results have followed. What we've seen over the last 15 games or so is that that has come for both of them. D'Lo's been playing great. Delo, man, that's who I want to talk about. Yeah. Since the start of January, Mike, he's been basically an all-star level player. He will never be discussed yeah. as an all-star level player. But when you're at like 20 plus points a game and having assist nights of like 8, 10, 12, 14, 17 assists with like one turnover or two turnovers. And that's Chris Paul stuff, man. Yeah. Point God sort of production. And then you have Austin totally finding his way. And it's just like, okay, well, this is the group that can do something. And then with Rui, which we talked a lot about yesterday, it's just like, oh man, you've got now a real foundation for a, for a team that can do something. But to me, it's, it's Austin and D'Lo, D'Lo really. 
And Dilo, <laughs> Dilo is having those types of games, those eight to one, 10 to one type of assist to turnover ratio games, while also carrying a flamethrower. I was cracking up the other day. This wasn't Dilo related, but Dilo has a lot of these type of games. In the Utah game, Darius was out and trying to keep track of the game as, as best he could at the time. And at the end of the third quarter, he texts us. He said, Look at the score. What just happened? Because it was just like a one or two point game. And all of a sudden we're up 16 or 18 points. And Dilo is carrying that in his left arm at any given time. Is it something that he can conjure at will? No. That's something very few have been able to do whenever they want to. But the fact that he can take a game immediately from three points to we're up 14 now. Dilo had, what was it against the Pelicans? He had like 14 points in two minutes and 37 seconds. Had another stretch of 10 points in like a minute 45. Right, right. He does that type of thing all the time. And for that guy to also be the judicious point guard who's going to get you some, you know, some free points because he whistled the pass right by someone's ear and not really turning the ball over as well. Like he's just playing so well. And in the spirit of Austin finding himself he had comments recently. He had an interview where he was like, I stopped giving a damn. Darius wrote a great lead about a month ago, I'd say, that started with basically that. So like D'Lo finding himself, Mike, has been just a, a great part of what this season has become. No doubt. The D'Lo stuff, I think, is you just explained it all. And that's I don't even need to add anything to it. I've had with some national folks and certainly a lot a lot more on the announcer side, because like some of the the national uh, play-by-play or announcers will come in and, you know, they'll kind of want to give me a give me a three-minute lay of the land, like what's actually going on here. And like I can tell you if you give me three minutes, you know, what I think it's it's this is why you need the mix of like when you're when you're covering the league as a national reporter and you watch a lot of teams, but you don't really get the chance to dive in um, to the extent and I'll remove myself from this to see even that you guys do um, in like really watching the Lakers and what's going on. And to me, the biggest point of dissonance has been around LeBron. Uh, and like, I, so LeBron in 2019-20 on the season in 67 games was plus 442. The next highest Laker, Danny Green, was plus 256. All right, even AD was down. And, and I'm, I'm kind of going against my thing of just looking at the plus minus, but I, I want to do this to make a point. Um, the previous season, LeBron's first, he was, uh, that, that team, again, was all the young guys, right? It was, it was like, it was Caruso um, and Lonzo and Kuzma and, and on and on down the line and, and Lance Stevenson. He was plus 116 in 55 games. The next highest was plus 55 in 24 games, like Jonathan Williams. Now, get up to this season, and even to this point, like LeBron is plus 70 now, thanks to a, a recent kick in, in 49 games, but that's well below Rui. It's below Russell by a little bit. AD is right there. Um, kind of next to LeBron and on a, a night to night basis in year 21, even though LeBron's counting stats um, still make him look like LeBron, he's not exactly the same as 2019, 20 LeBron. And I think when you don't watch every game and when you even if you just watch highlights, that is a major difference um, between where the Lakers are at. And and yet and this is why the optimism to me returns as the games get fewer and as the playoffs approach, you're going to get closer to that way in the positive LeBron that we saw in the in-season tournament and that we saw in the game at OKC and then we saw in the game against the Clippers when he guarded Kawhi. Like, he's still got that fastball in there, but there have been many nights this year where he hasn't, and that's where the Lakers have lost a lot of those games. And it's not just because of the role players. It's because LeBron has not been able to be at that same exact standard. And, 
you know, forgive me, guys, if I if it seems like I've tried to make this point 100 times this year. And maybe that's uh, maybe that's just going to keep getting repetitive. But um, that to me has just been a significant part uh, of what this regular season has been up to this point. I, well, I totally agree with that. We just saw they're capable of scoring 138 points without LeBron at all. And they have a yeah, lot of talent they on this team. A couple of weeks ago, though. No, they weren't. But they, but they are the, now. But it's evidently achievable, right? And so that is why we torture ourselves over – like the fact that LeBron is getting older and that his, his superpowers will diminish to me is baked into the cake. It's something that we knew the entire time. And so it's a matter of – I would also argue though that he has that fastball that you were talking about, Mike, that he is such an outlier. There's everything about LeBron's career that tells you he's an outlier. He is that guy that's going to still be able to be one of the dudes on a championship team late into his 30s. Is it – do you have to be – more precise with the other stuff that you do? Absolutely. And that's exactly why we talk about the five out and the role players and all of that, D. But to me, there's still that there's still a great player in LeBron and building around him, like it's a different look than we've ever ever had before. And we've really started to hit our stride. Yeah, 100%. When LeBron first came to the Lakers, he was both a ceiling raiser and a floor raiser, right? Which is what the greatest players in the league are. Like people talk about Jokic and Luka and uh, Giannis, and it's like the baseline level in which their teams will remain competitive as long as they're on the court and as long as they're they're available is still pretty high, right? And LeBron now to me at this stage of his career is much more of a ceiling raiser than he is a floor raiser. And you can see that based off of how the Lakers play when they're at their best, when LeBron is as engaged as he could possibly be, the Lakers look unreal. But on a night-to-night basis, if you're actually locked into to the team, it's sort of what Mike is saying, is, which is like basically, well, if LeBron is taking some possessions off here, here or there, which like he's 39 it's his 21st season. We shouldn't be looking at this as a pejorative or as a negative it's against him. Deal. It is it is yeah. the life cycle of an NBA player, and he has extended the half-life of him as a player is longer than any other NBA element that's ever existed. We're not saying stuff like this to knock LeBron. It's more just an acknowledgement of the realities of what current day LeBron are. The Lakers are what, three and four or four and three in the games that LeBron has not played? Yeah, but I would argue that the players who actually impact the team's floor are like AD and D'Angelo Russell. Yep. Because Russell is become more and more of an important player regarding like how he runs a team, how he runs a unit, his actual point guard play. And AD is just critical to what they do on both sides of the ball. And without AD, it's just like they absolutely don't win any games. And without Russell, they absolutely don't win any games. And to me, like that's what happens. You wouldn't necessarily say that Russell is like the Lakers best player. He's not. AD is probably their best player night to night. Not probably, he is. And LeBron is their second best player. But it's just like all of this comes together in this stew. So let's take another break here. And I'd like to sort of shift from looking back to like looking more at the present and even looking forward into what happens coming out of the All-Star break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So where are you guys at? Darwin's been asked a fair amount. Do you guys have a number? It's like they've been fishing for the number. Like the number that Dennis gave last season with like X number of games left, this is the number that they're trying to hunt. Darwin seems to be keeping that a secret, which is totally fine. But there are seemingly several scenarios that they have in mind about where they need to get to in order to, if not get out of the play-in, position themselves as best if they can within the play-in. Well, I think that Wind projections are difficult. It's great to have a North Star. It's great to have a goal as to, hey, if we can win X amount of games out of the final X, then great. But this team we've seen have such difficulty with staying completely healthy um, that that seems to impact things when you try to look forward too much. I'll just say that based on how they're playing now, though, and this momentum and getting the break for LeBron and AD, um, which to me is of paramount importance. Like I don't think that it's coincidence that AD had looked his best physically after getting those three days off um, before the the back-to-back, before the Detroit and Utah back-to-back. And he's going to be getting that same thing heading into this next stretch. So I think that the Lakers are better. Like if they were, the Lakers are going to match up with Sacramento, Dallas, New Orleans, and Phoenix. Those are the four teams ahead of them. I think the Lakers are better uh, than those four teams. And I would pick the Lakers to beat them in a four-game series. Like when you look at the next, the four teams above that, who the Lakers probably can't catch, uh, just based on the amount of losses that they have, Denver, Clippers, Thunder, Wolves, you know, those are those are teams where it would some like we would have to have discussions about who would be favored. And I think the Lakers actually I would probably favor in two of those matchups and maybe not in the other two. Uh, but those teams that are ahead of the Lakers immediately, we don't know if they're going to slip to the degree that the Lakers want them to. Uh, the Lakers play all of those teams like at least once uh, and can control some of the destiny themselves. Uh, the Phoenix, Phoenix, there's a big game at Phoenix. Uh, I think the third game coming after the break and we'll see what happens with Bradley Beal. But Pete, that's generally the way that I look at it. Not necessarily win totals or, but just hunt those that are ahead of you and know that if you play the way that you can play up to that maximum level, um, that there's no reason the Lakers can't make up some ground and pass at least a couple of those teams. And and if you do that, then you're in that kind of seven to six 
uh, range that I, that I think would be ideal uh, to try and make another push. Yeah, to me, it, it's not about anybody else, really. I one of and you got to understand part of the perspective I come from is a high school basketball coach, and one of the one of the big moments I remember in terms of just kind of the psyche of my team that was important is when they stopped caring so much about what the other team looked like when they got off of the bus or when they walked into our gym. There's always a moment in those high school games where like the team has to travel via bus to get to the other team that's in their league and their squad walks into the gym. And I remember when I first took over, there was always like, oh man, that guy's big and athletic and just a certain amount of like shoulder slumping that was involved. And and a certain amount of like looking over at who they are. And then at one, at some point, like we just stopped caring and we started doing our pregame shit, you know, and that's when we started being more competitive and winning more games. And, and, and so to me, the, this team is le- capable of a level of basket of basketball that they, they cannot worry about that sort of thing that if they mind their P's and Q's and they play this type of offense and they play with this level of ball movement and player movement and just lean into the things that they're doing, they're going to get some of their defensive personnel back. I think the biggest landmine that we have from here on out is just the lineups that get played. Darius, you and I were having a conversation after the pod the other day. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this. Yeah, yeah. I was cracking up and it's like, I think Gabe Vincent is a better player than Jackson Hayes, for example, right? But if you put four guys and then add Gabe Vincent to it, it's a very different thing than adding Jackson Hayes as that fifth player. And there are a lot of places on this lineup or on this roster where you can look and write down who are our best players, one through 10. And you might not have a big player other than Anthony Davis, like a legitimate big in that top 10 when everybody is healthy. That said, though, as we've covered just <laughs> exhaustively on this pod, I think the smaller versions of this team are not the way to go. Now, I think with Dinwiddie, possibly with Gabe, could there be? Possibly. I- I'm just a lot less confident in it from seeing the bigger groups work. And so that to me is really the big storyline for the-, the rest of the year is just kind of who are the guys that actually play and against who and why. Injuries have done a lot to determine that so far, D, but that might not be the case very soon. It's no coincidence to me that the best defensive version of the team is when all of the defensive players have been healthy and that the best right. offensive <laughs> version of the team and, and like and were available to play and that the best offensive version of the team has been when all of the defensive guys who are more limited offensively have been out. And I'm not sure if there's a bridge that exists to bridge those two versions of the team so that they can be that like, oh, well, we're top 10 on both sides of the ball. So in the spirit of looking at the lineups, Mike, and looking at who's going to play, particularly when guys get back healthy, I think Pete is right. I think that when Cam is available to play and when Gabe is available to play, because those guys will come back. Gabe's knee is going to be fine. He's been on path to return. And Darwin mentioned that the last time that Gabe came up. Cam's not going to be out forever with this hurt ankle. So integrating them back in and what their roles potentially look like after Dinwiddie has been added and looks like a real player who can do that can do some things, it's complicated to me. And if those minutes for those players, if they do play, come at the expense of Hayes and or Wood or Rui even, 
it's like, I think that the team will be doing it wrong. I'd be lying if I didn't say like there was no anxiousness there because I am experiencing some anxiousness about what some of these lineups could look like as the team gets all of their guys back. Yeah, this is where we get into the beat the dead horse section uh, of the podcast and, and just what the lineups that have worked well are. But you're thinking about right after the break, the Golden State game, I would imagine that both Reddish and Christie are available. And in that case, so just look at the Detroit game, the Utah game. You have your you have your starting five. Actually, forget the Utah game because LeBron didn't start. So Utah, the Detroit game, you have your starting five. And that, to me, shouldn't change. The only change that could possibly come at some point would be Vanderbilt, but then, you know, I think that that gets back to kind of him, what kind of rhythm is he going to be able to be in if he's been out for a month uh, and where he was really coming around on offense as well. And that might be a little harder. Like I wouldn't necessarily take Rui out um, and put Vanderbilt in, but I would certainly play him off the bench. Then you've got Spencer Dinwiddie, who is the first player off the bench. He's a guard. Okay, Like he, that, that counts as one of the guard spots. Um, and then I think Cam Reddish most likely goes back into that rotation over Max. That's how Darvinham started the year uh, with Cam, even if we saw you know Max have emerged even more before he hurt his ankle. But to me, it's got to be one or the other of those guys. Uh, and then Jackson Hayes, to me now, especially if when Vanderbilt isn't ready, has to play. I think you need that energy. You need that length around the rim. You need the pop. And he's just been good. Like he has completely turned his season around. And that player then that could be replaced is essentially Christian Wood. Uh, you know, by either by either Max or Cam, where that gets complicated further is getting Vanderbilt back. But like if he comes in, it can't be for, you know, it can't be for the playing time of Rui, but it could be for the playing time of Jackson Hayes. And so so that's if that all makes sense. The only spot that leaves is then Gabe Vincent. And I think that would be our ultimate point is that and when they got Dinwiddie, to me, it's got to be sort of like take your pick. Because it can't be Vincent and Dinwiddie and Reeves and Russell and Prince. Uh, you know, if you want to replace Prince, his minutes, who, again, has played basically 30 minutes all year, um, that's reduced a little bit in the bench. That's that's one thing. But my guess is that won't, there won't be a time when every single player is available. Um, and this because, because that's just not the modern NBA. But uh, Pete, let me just stop me there because I, I think I said enough. But you 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 can see where we're going. Absolutely. And, but just having two more players certainly complicates matters. There are, deci- uh, there are valid decisions to be made. Both Max and Cam have played very well at different points of the season, bring different things to the table. If I had to choose between one or the other, I'd probably go with Max just because I think that Darius, you made the I would, very astute. I would too, by the way. I just think they're going to go with Cam. I, I, I do too. I agree with that. Uh, you made the very astute point, though, earlier, D, about how when all our defensive players, where that was the look, and we were good on defense, you know, or we were good on defense when we, when we had our defensive players, and we were good on offense when we didn't have our defensive players and guys who were limited on offense. And, and so Max leans into the offensive version which is the version where I'd be like, well, which which of those two groups had a better record, right? Which of those two ver- versions were obviously the better team? And so to me, leaning into the offensive version and adding the defensive ingredients where appropriate is the right thing to do. But I think it's very important that you don't gunk up the works on offense in the midst of doing that. And that's why I think Cam is a better defensive player than Max. And this is part of also why I just wish, wish Max were a little bit older because I think he'll be totally fine at a lot of these things in just a, a couple of years. But Max, if you leave Max open on a spot up 
He's going to knock it down at a high clip. If you close out hard to him, he's going to attack the basket and get to the rim and produce at a high clip. And that offensively, that ability to just have a guy where you don't cheat off of him the way that you can with Cam and where he is going to make mistakes on attacking his closeouts. And certainly Max will have some turnovers too. But I think it's very important that however they add those ingredients back, it's important, D, that defensively those tools are able to contribute and not take away from the offensive identity, Mike, because I think that you you can be kind of, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll just end it there. It's important that it doesn't take away from the offensive identity. In, so if I can just the, about the offensive identity, I think that to an extent it will be fine if they just keep the starters and play them starter minutes and and D'Angelo Russell playing like over 30 minutes relative yeah, yeah. to what he was playing in terms of 25 before that's going to handle a lot of stuff for the offense. Um, and and especially with sp- like Spencer Dinwiddie coming in off the bench to me, there are like there are enough offensive players there. And now that they understand the five out spacing better that I, I guess I feel less worried about the offense. Um, and I don't know that they're going to over index towards the defensive matchups. No, this is the thing though, Mike is like, I agree. Play the starters, the guy who are guys who are currently starting, play them starter minutes. But if you do that, there aren't many minutes left over. And so this idea of adding all these guys back and, and who's going to play, this is usually the part of the season where you start going down to a nine-man rotation, some teams an eight-man rotation. And so that is the opposite direction of adding all these new guys back. I think we kind of got to pick our eight and, yeah. and you know, an, a, an, a rotating nine perhaps for depending on the matchup. But I think we're at that point rather than the, hey, we got to get this guy minutes and that guy minutes. Yeah, and this is where I'm just like, okay, well, what are the choices going to be and who are these players going to be? It's been two games of Dinwiddie, and again, like, so I don't want to put the cart before the horse with him, but he's been doing things on both sides of the ball where I'm just like, yeah, play this guy 20 minutes a game. And if you're giving Spencer Dinwiddie 20 minutes a game, those come from somewhere. This is something I included in my piece for Silver Screen and Roll. These numbers are going to be a bit skewed because LeBron missed that jazz game. And so you sort of didn't have that extra forward. But in reality, LeBron, AD, Rui, those three guys should be taking the majority of three, four, five minutes. Austin and D'Lo should be taking the majority of the one and two minutes. If you play Dinwiddie another 20 minutes, there's only 240 minutes to go around here. This is where the pivot point of Prince and what is Prince to you? And if Prince is a guard, well, then his role is going to need to be reduced to reflect the fact that he is the fourth guard. If he is your fourth forward, there are more minutes there at forward for Prince, but those come at the expense of being smaller because you've got your guard minutes pretty much locked up with Austin, D'Lo, and Spencer. And so it's like, what team do you want to be? And when you do start to bring back and then when you add Hayes and Wood to that equation, if Dinwiddie's minutes cut into Hayes and Wood's minutes, that's a different team than if his minutes cut into Prince's minutes. And Darwin is going to have a decision to make. And that's and that's totally not even accounting for Max and Cam. That's right. Or Vando. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, to me, if all of those players are healthy, I know who I want playing. I want Vando playing. I think he's too good. Yep. And I know who I'd start to take out of the rotation. These are discussions, though, for after 
we start to see what the decisions the coaches start to make, Pete. But they've given us hints as to what they like to do already this season. And that's why I'm carrying a little bit of like, okay, I've got a little bit of angst around that part of things that pushes up against the optimism. It doesn't overwhelm it at all, but it pushes up against it. Yeah, never a dull moment around here. Um, we're going to take a little break, probably have one pod uh, that previews the second half of the season and then come back full force once the games start uh, back. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They will. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddy pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, score. 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 Listen. Brian. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.